Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. I am Pastor Hayden, and with me is Pastor Evan, and here at our church at Compass, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast for you life group leaders, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Man, you came out of the cannon right there. I did. Pow! Got, got you know, it's, yeah, a lot, lot going on. I'm trying to trying to equip our life group leaders. All right, life group leaders, we are in this new series, week two of Trials and Triumph. Uh, this sermon was called Light in the Darkness, and it comes from Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Pastor Evan, take it away. Matthew 4, beginning verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. For that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, what was the main point of this morning's sermon? Life group leaders, you remember that the main point of this sermon was that Jesus came to conquer the depths of human depravity, to give light and life to everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him for salvation. And those teaching points I gave you guys were one, to grasp the depths of your depravity. Point number two is to behold the answer to your depravity. And point number three, to repent and trust in Jesus. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, we have a, we've done a few questions kind of based on your points. Just need to find them real quickly. But point number one, can you help us rehash just a little bit of the darkness and depravity of Capernaum? Because this is kind of a big deal in the text. There's a reason why it's going on. But we're so far removed you know, from this. What's the big deal? It's twofold. You got to think of the historical context of the Old Testament, particularly in the exile and the invasions of the Assyrian Empire into the northern kingdom of Israel, where Zebulun and Naphtali were geographically the epicenter of the Assyrian invasion in the 700s. And so it's important to see that uh, that area is where they staged a lot of things. It's where they even uh, would stage the uh, exile of people. And so they would, in that region is where people would go as they're being exiled out of the northern kingdom of, of Israel. I believe that is the case. And, uh, so it's a very dark place. In the memory of people, it'd be like us remembering uh, things like, uh, it would bring back to their memory in a very vivid way, even like the Holocaust or World War II to you and I, although none of us were there. Uh, just the words World War II or Hitler or Holocaust brings back some very dark memories. It would have done the same thing in, in the life of Israel as well. well. It's like going to um, Auschwitz. Right. Just saying that word, you already know. You're like, oh, yeah. That's I know that one. Bad things happen there. And that you saw how dark that situation is. And then the second, secondly, it is uh, also the time of Jesus, Galilee in the region, and Capernaum in particular. Uh, th- some things I didn't say in the sermon. Uh, there was uh, waxing and waning populations of Jews in this region uh, and I can't remember exactly, I don't think in great detail, but in, in general, there was a time, particularly in the intertestamental time period, where 
uh, I think it's in one of the, the Maccabees books uh, in the, uh, uh, what is that? Apocrypha. Apocrypha. It talks about how at a certain time, because of a lot of the persecution or a lot of the danger, uh, the Jews were evacuated from that area because of unhealthy and uh, unsafe it was for them. And so they actually took them further south into uh, closer to Jerusalem. And so uh, although by the time that uh, Rome is around and the time of Jesus, there were, was a Jewish population there, it still wasn't a, it still wasn't a significant place for Jewish people. And uh, so with that comes a lot of that religious syncretism we talked about, a lot of the ungodliness there. There wasn't anything directing worship towards God. Uh, people were coming from all over the world who had different belief systems, uh, none of which wanted to submit to uh, Yahweh. And so that in itself creates darkness, uh, even when it comes to the practice of the, uh, their uh, polytheistic religion in that area. All right, so... In your sermon, you well, mentioned... Well, even, sorry, even, I mean, you, you can even banter back and forth. Uh, think about all the things that were going on around the Sea of Galilee. The Because uh, the Sea of Galilee's got three names. You got the Sea of Galilee, you got the Sea of Tiberias, and the Sea of, of uh, Gennesaret. And so all three of those in the Bible are talking about the same place. And you think about all the stories that you see revolving around that, a lot of demon possession mm-hmm. in, in that area. I mean, it was just very... Uh, definitely a big occultic demonic area at that time. It just shows how depraved that place was. We didn't even talk about all that stuff. There's so much more we could have talked about, uh, but very dark place. All right. So with the darkness understanding and you know, the impact of Christ being there, um, you mentioned that you know we need to see the depravity in our own lives and maybe our own homes and our own towns and states and countries and, and globally. Now, my question to you is how can we accurately view this depravity within all these realms in our own lives, culture, city, nation, and, and world without going too far in the pendulum, not going, oh, it's not making light of it. Oh, it's not that bad versus this is the worst thing of worst things. We're almost over-exaggerating how dark it is when we're kind of covering up other areas. Maybe it's the liberal conservative you know, swing of things. How can we look at our culture and uh, depravity accurately without going too far to say, oh, we're going too far. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of understand the spirit of the question. You can't really go too far in the concept of depravity because depravity touches every fiber of existence. But what we can do is think of a principle, and a principle is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if I listen to how you speak, I speak, our culture speaks, uh, go on to the Nextdoor app, right, go on to social media, uh, go on to any, your, your, just any, any neighborhood uh, forum, uh, go on to anything. You just listen to this, how quickly those conversations turn to ungodliness and ungodly uh, communication and to think out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like you see a symptom of depravity in the way that they're speaking. You understand that is the condition of the human heart. And then you take that to its inevitable end the human heart is wicked in every way. And so you see that coming out in the way that people are conversating, but just know that bibliology, doctrine teaches me that it's not just the words. The words are evidence of the depravity, and depravity goes into every other applicational uh, category. My life, my, uh, my decisions, the way I conduct business, the way I would educate people. Uh, if the more power I get, the more I would use it to do my own 
desire and not God's. I mean, you just continue building that uh, case and you're going to find pretty, pretty, pretty bad place, pretty depraved place we live. And it's important. You mentioned the 9 a.m. How you know even for transplants we move from one depravity to the other, thinking maybe this depravity might be less than the place that we came from. Right. Why is it important to remember? No matter where we run to, depravity is there, and that's not the solution. Is just running. Well, yeah, I think you had. I think you'd be mis uh, mistaking the whole concept of the fall and of depravity. I mean, yes, can you leave one place and it be better somewhere else? Yes. But if you're looking for that place to fulfill the the joy and the light and the and trying to remove the gloom and the darkness that uh, you're trying to escape from, you f- you're, look, you're looking at the wrong Savior. Moving is not the Savior. The Savior is Jesus because you just give give this place a 20, another 20 or 30 years. And it isn't because more people from coastal uh, places are moving here. It's that's just the progression of society as it be, as the degradation of the depravity of people become more and more evident. And the more decisions that are being made, the odds are the more sinful decisions are being made, especially when they're not governed by uh, scripture or the will of God. You're going to see any organization, any institution, any civilization. Uh, as they are making decisions, will become worse and worse simply because of the uh, of of the reality that they're not yielding to the will of God. And so, so what should our reaction be when we see or even live out, even rub shoulders with the the depravity of culture in our own lives and in others' lives? What should we do when we see it with our own eyes, even rub shoulders because you know we're we're in this world, we can't avoid it? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what category you're talking about. I think. Uh, I mean, I don't want to create a apologetic to go out and try to change the world uh, because you you can't. Only Christ can do that. Uh, and Christ has promised that the world is going to get worse, not better. But I mean, can you know go like vote on legislation? Go and uh, communicate with people. Uh, have. You know, don't. Well, here's a good, another one. Don't be a part of the problem. Like you, know, you don't let your depravity uh, continue moving the depravity of the situation forward. Uh, but be a ambassador. Right? Be a light in the darkness. Be salt on the in the earth. Like you know, you doing ministry and discipleship is going to uh, is is going to be your role in really mitigating even the evil in our own culture. I mean, imagine if every Christian in New Braunfels. Uh, committed to making a disciple this month or this year, uh, and they spent once one time a week meeting with somebody to teach them about the Word of God and to disciple them. I mean, how many more disciples would you be making? And disciples have the Holy Spirit, and people who have the Holy Spirit are living for the Lord, and people who are living for the Lord are not going to be walking in the flesh, but walking towards the Spirit. So you, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's really not about, well, if I just do these five things. It's like, no, no, no. If you will just make disciples of Christ— the way that Christ has called us to do it, we're going to be doing the job that God has called us to do. Something I really enjoyed in your the 9 a.m. service was when you talked about when we see the depravity of Capernaum, that's where Jesus says, yes, only I could save it. This is mm-hmm. where I'm going. And it reminded me of, okay, like this is why we evangelize. Like, oh, we see this dark area. Okay, Christ is the only one that can save it. Mm-hmm. So let's bring Christ, not our, our smart wits or maybe our solutions, but instead bring Christ these people to preach the gospel because that's the only thing that's going to change. Um, the only th- way it's going to change is because of Christ and right. his gospel.
which leads into you know point number two beholding the answer to our depravity um so pastor hayden how can we you mentioned in the sermon how we're not christ is not pointing to a light he's pointing to himself which is the the light he mm-hmm. is the solution so how can we redirect ourselves and and others back to christ when we see our own depravity or even others depravity <clears throat> i think from the pulpit and from for teachers of the gospel and of the bible it is like you know it's easy for us as you learn about the gospel to make it about things to make it about well you turn from your sin and you trust in, uh, even if you do it right, right? Turn from my sin and place my trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross. And you say that a hundred times. And it, it can potentially convey this idea that I'm not trusting in a person. I'm trusting in some things the person did. And you are. You are trusting in the things the person did. But you got to remember, based on what? Who the person is. And we should never divorce the gospel from the person of Christ. And we should, and, and so we have to both know the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And uh, because we had to understand that he didn't come to point us to the light. He didn't come to point us to things that he'd, he'd done. He used the things he did to show that he was the light. And for you and I to know that, yes, we're turning away from our sins and placing our trust in Christ. And when we stand before God, uh, we are going to stand in the presence of God through Christ. Like he is going to be the thing that God sees when he looks at us is Christ. And so it's always keeping it on the person. And I, you know, there's smarter people than me that can be able to articulate that better, but uh, we just need to make sure that we are in Christ and we are focusing on the person of Christ because it is the person of Christ that did all of this overcoming. And sometimes we like, well, Jesus conquered sin. So I conquer sin. Or, you know, or, you know, Jesus died on the cross, so I trust in the, the, the work of the cross. It's like, yes, but you're trusting in the person who did the work, not just, you know what I'm saying? And it's subtle. It can be subtle. And maybe you're listening to this, you're like, I don't resonate with that. And, uh, but, if you, but if you spend enough time talking to people about the gospel, you'll, you'll recognize that not people do think about that. Like we, if we're not careful, we make it more about... Uh, the things than the person. And we just got to be careful with that because I think over time that can become a hindrance to people coming to Christ. So with that, why is the person of Christ hopeful when we see and really feel the gravity of the depravity? Didn't mean to rhyme there, but that just mm-hmm. happened. You know, why is it hopeful? And how can we lead our life groups? You know, we, know, we know that we have people in our life group who are suffering. Um, things aren't necessarily going as planned. How is it hopeful when we look at the depravity in our own lives and also in the lives of others, the the person of Christ? Why is that hopeful? Well, like I said in the sermon, it's not that the diagnosis of depravity should be like, oh, this is this is great. It's like, no, that's sad, burdening. It's it's not great. But it's it's the treatment. It's knowing that Christ is the treatment, and that should remove the burden. Like, I should be like, okay, that's sad that I'm like this, but glory be to God who does save depraved people like me and does remove the consequence of my depravity. Uh, And not only that, that even sanctifies me in the midst of my earthly life and uh, makes my life uh, like his as I'm living for him. All right, and then your last point, as you said already, the response that we need to have to understanding our depravity and the hope of the solution is to repent and trust in Jesus. 
Uh, well, Pastor Hayden, you know, our church, we're big on making sure that people aren't deceived on being, you know, Christians or not. What? How would you explain salvific repentance to us so that we can then communicate this to people in our group who maybe one, come to us because they're doubting. You know, people, life group leaders have been telling them, hey, this has happened in life group. Or maybe you go, I'm not sure about this person's walk with Christ. What does salvific repentance look like and, and mean biblically? Right, the Greek word metanoia, it means to to turn one's mind. Uh, but it didn't just simply mean mind. It, 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 it is something I have to do intellectually. But it's a change of one's mind that actually... Uh, resonates through the life of the person that turns their life around. That, of course, no one's going to argue that it isn't a intellectual. It isn't. It is not. It's. It is in my mind. It is something I think about. Something I need to understand cognitively. But it isn't just a cognitive assent to any truth. It's the understanding that my life is now not mine, it's Christ, and as Christ is working in me, my life should bear fruit. And so repentance is saying, hey, I'm bearing fruit for death, now I'm bearing fruit for life, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so to turn from my sin means I'm going this way. And now that uh, Christ has turned me the other way, I've got to go that way. And you know, that's that's repentance, and that's why we always talk through It's not that you're not going to sin, or you might not even have a season of sin in your life, but the reality is the Spirit is going to do a great work in you that you're going to continue bearing fruit. So what would you say the difference is between dif- repenting from sins and repenting from sin? Yeah, and maybe I, I don't want to like over-specify because I think in Scripture you're going to see both of those, plural and singular. But the way that I like to explain it that's helpful is just so, so like we can help people understand that you're not turning away from the fact that you do bad things. I mean, that is part of repentance. Oh, look at all these bad things I've done. Uh, we What we want to help people do in our presentation of the gospel is to not let them get away with saying, well, you did a bunch of bad things, and that's and that's that's the problem. It's like, no, 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 no. Your sin nature, like you, your nature is the problem. Those things prove your sin nature. And so implore, when I say singular, I'm talking about the nature of you, like that's your sin nature. Sins are the proofs of your sin nature. And... Yes, do we repent of things we've done? Yes, but the repenting for salvation is the fact that I'm turning away from the fact that I have that I have a sin nature that is opposed to God and at enmity with God, and I'm turning to Christ. Then, therefore, I have a new nature. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, I, the old has died; uh, behold, the new has come. And so, those all those things means I'm turning from the nature of my sin and depravity, turning to Christ who gives me a new nature. All right. Now, the other side of the coin, trust. How can you help us as life group leaders explain trust, you know, biblical saving trust to others? One of the examples I use, especially when you talk about repentance and faith or trusting faith and trust, synonymous words. You know, if I told you to get up out of your seat and stand up right now, okay, you're standing up. Now sit back down. Well, you're sitting down. Would you hear this a lot? People say, well, sitting down, you trust, you had faith that that chair is going to keep you up. You did. That is a good example of, of trusting the fact that that chair was going to hold you up and you trusted in it. But you know what you also did? You turned from standing up. You were standing up, but you didn't say, I repented from standing up and, and sat down. Well, you don't have to because the nature of true trust is an act of also repenting from the thing that you were doing. Turning, you turned from standing up and to sit down. 
And so that's a really good way to package a rep- what, what we call repentant faith. Like my faith is something that I turned from doing the other thing, and now I am trusting. I have faith in in Christ. Like I have, I, have fa- I trust in Him. Like He is the He is the one who is going to uh, find me righteous before a holy God. And yes, it is through what He has done, but it is through the person. And I'm going to trust in the person of Jesus Christ for the salvation of my sin. And I would uh, also like to uh, contend that that's going to help you grow intimacy with Christ when you when you're pointing at Him and His work for you instead of just on the things that He did. You know, and I think that that appeals to anybody's thoughts about relationships. Like if we make our relationships about what people have done and not about who they are you're going to find a lacking in that relationship. So I don't want you to I don't want you to fill that gap in your relationship with Christ because you're making it more about things and not about him. Yeah, I, yeah. I hate having that conversation because I mean it's, I, I get it. I get like okay, are we overstating that? I, I don't think so because even in my own life I got to make it about him, you know, the God of the universe and not just about things that he did. All right, Pastor, two more questions before we jump into the uh, application direction with the significance of Jesus beginning his ministry with repentance for the kingdom yeah. of God is at hand and ending his commi- uh, ending his ministry mm-hmm. and then commissioning the disciples missions like this is what right. you're supposed to preach why is it significant and how can we this relay this the significance to our life groups this week ah oh, man in so many ways i think especially in matthew uh, there are different views of how to interpret Matthew, and each section of Matthew needs to be interpreted particularly based on what is said and what's going on, which I think there is some truth to that. Uh, but, like, for instance, like, yeah, well, Jesus talks about repentance here, but then there's nothing about repentance later, or Jesus talks about the kingdom here, but he's talking about something else later. But it's like, listen, Jesus began and a- ended his ministries with calling people to repent from their sins and place their trust in him. And then he called us to go and call people to do likewise. I mean, that's pretty fundamental to the message of the gospel. And so that should give us great confidence that, like, Jesus' message never changed no matter who he was talking to, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, no matter who it was. Okay, so then how can we then, as life group leaders, we, we may notice... Someone comes up to us. We've had life group leaders say that. Hey, someone's coming up to me and say, I'm really doubting my salvation. Or we're looking at someone's life and we're going, all right, I might need to lead this person towards this. How can we lead someone who either one has doubts or two doesn't have doubts necessarily, but their life is producing fruit to go, okay, let's, we need to have a conversation about, especially if people, if people are doubting their faith and people need assurance, uh, you need to ask, do you really love God? I mean, do you really love God and the things of God? And help people help people wade through that. Like, well, yeah, of course I love God. No, how do you love God? What does that mean? Do you love your things more or do you love God's things more? Because a, a regenerate person is going to love the things of God. And as a matter of fact, they're going to progressively hate the things of, them, of themselves. And so a regenerate person is going to love God. He's going to love them, uh, love God over their own selves in, in every way, um, you, you, I mean, fruit's a necessary part also, is looking at people's fruit and saying, hey, does your life reflect the love of God? Does your life reflect being filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and being uh, fruitful and not unproductive like we, like we read in Peter uh, in the men's group? Uh, I mean, those, those are two things. Do you love God? Is your life bearing fruit? 
Have you responded to the gospel that we talked about today? I mean, those things. Have you have you made a response to the gospel, turning from your sins, placing your trust in Christ? Do you see the fruits of the, of the Spirit in your life, and do you really love God? All right, well, thank you, Pastor Hayden. I'm excited for us to lead our life groups this week. Um, what direction should we take with our application questions this week? The applicational direction. Uh, questions four and five are basically what we just talked about here earlier, and so I really want to encourage you guys to make sure you do questions four and five uh, because I think that's really going to get you guys moving in a gospel-centered direction, and, and I should say an evangelistically-flavored discussion that I think will be helpful. So sometimes maybe you don't go through all the questions. I would make sure you get questions four and five in this week's application questions in life group. Wonderful. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, uh, do you have any training for us as life group leaders this week? Uh, no, I do not. Oh, I just see your note there. Yeah. I, that's my fault. Yeah, that's okay. He wrote in all caps. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Because you guys are trained right now. Well, because you guys are doing a great job, and we, as we are going through your... Uh, training modules, we are looking at uh, enfolding some helpful ways for you guys to meet with uh, as many people and to create levels of care for your group. So that's something we're working on right now for training is how to help you create a scope and a sequence for caring. Uh, how to, how can you put people in tiers of here's who here's, you know there's urgency right i mean there's there's the urgent needs in your group that you need to invest in and there's also the non-urgent needs uh, of uh, leadership development. And sometimes you're going to uh, shirk, or uh, you're going to uh, you're going to leave out this leadership development part because you have so many people who are hurting. Uh, but that the tyranny of the urgent is always going to uh, mitigate the actual uh, your ability to to uh, develop more leaders. And so we want to help you guys with some scope and sequence of your spans of care in your in your life group. So if that didn't make a lot of sense to you, hold on tight. We'll get there. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, what announcements do we have this week for our life group leaders? We have D now. We just had the parent meeting Woo! right after, right, right before this. So the students meet from 17th to the 19th. If you have anybody in your group who is a parent and they haven't registered their students, encourage them. I mean, we have a record number of students at uh, our D-NOW, which that's a huge thing. Uh, we just want them all to register. If they have a problem affording that, let us know. We don't want anyone to not go to camp because they can't afford it. We have our women's breakfast on February the 25th, so not this Sunday, but next. And then we, and that starts at 9 a.m. And then the next day we have Exploring Compass the next session on the 26th and March 5th. Uh, for the next sessions of Exploring Compass. And then prayer night on that evening from 5 to 6.30. We love our prayer nights, our corporate prayer nights. They're so important to create good rhythms of prayer in our church. So on the 26th, just stay at church? Just all day. Well, if you're going through Exploring Compass. Uh, and then uh, save the date for April 15th. We do. Is that tax day? It is technically tax That's day. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, we have a secret announcement, and it's it's more of a surprise announcement than a secret announcement. And we want to surprise you guys. We got some something really big in store, and we're going to announce it in the next couple of weeks. But we want you guys to put it on the calendar, save the date for that, because you're not going to want to miss it. You're not going to want to miss it. All right, life group leaders, grateful for the 27 minutes we've had to share together. We're praying for you and looking forward to ministry this week. <laughs>